Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is part two of my two-part interview with my writing partner, David Isaacs. David currently is a tenured professor at USC, and they have a pretty good film school over there. And uh, we get into a lot of comedy theory. If you caught last week's, we talked a lot about romantic comedy and the theory of comedy and that sort of thing. If you didn't, Hear last week's show. After you listen to this, go back and hear that one. This time we continue. We talk about buddy comedies. We talk a lot more about television comedies. So if you're interested in comedy at all, this is the show for you. Part two, my interview with my writing partner, David Isaacs, this week on Hollywood and Levine. Another uh, popular genre is buddy comedies. Mm-hmm. Okay, why are buddy comedies so successful, and what are a couple of examples of good buddy comedies? Well, uh, some of the best. Well, but but uh, the nice thing about buddy comedies is you can kind of they can go across all kinds of genres. Maybe the greatest buddy comedy of all time, and although you would necessarily call it a comedy first, but you would call it a western first. But it was in a sense a kind of buddy picture comedy was um, was. Uh, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Okay. One of the great ones. Mm-hmm. Certainly The Odd Couple, which is a form in itself, the two opposites living together. It, I, I've, I've got to say, I, I, Chuck Lorre has made a very successful career out of just doing variations of The Odd Couple. Two right. and a Half Men, mm-hmm. uh, Mike and Molly, his new one. Um, even uh, The Kaminsky Method is another version of the odd couple. That's right. Um, I was reading a book about Mike Nichols, and it was talking about the odd couple. Mike Nichols directed the original Broadway version of the odd couple written by Neil Simon. And Neil Simon described the odd couple, and I never heard it described this way, but when you think about it, you go, sure. And, you know, Neil Simon kind of knows the subject matter. He said, the odd couple is about two men who get divorced, who live together, and wind up having the same arguments they had when they were married. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Uh That's a great, that's a sort of great guiding line to to writing the play, or I'm even writing the series. Just, that's all you really have to hang it on. The, The funny thing is now, if you did that show now, there'd always be two guys that age living together. There would be the gay, you know, right. question hanging over the, <laughs> the thing, um, which is funny, which 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 could lead you to something else. A, 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 wait a minute, there could be another play there. Um, no, I, I, you need a kind of um, one guy's got to sort of drive. One guy's got to usually be the brains of the outfit. The other guy is the is the guy who sort of follows along religiously with the other guy, Laurel and Hardy. I mean, they're friends, but. Oftentimes, they're rivals. Yeah. I mean, I go way back to the Hope Crosby movies. Absolutely. 
you know, where these two guys were best friends, but they were always scamming each other. Well, they were scamming each other, and, and Bing was sort of the brains, and, and, and Bob uh, was the, the kind of, well, he was the comic relief within the comic team. Um, another one I really have always enjoyed is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah. With uh, John Candy and Steve Martin, who were a great comic pairing. They probably would have done more films together had, had uh, they had the time and, um, and, and, and Candy had lived longer. Um, Midnight Run is a great, uh, even though it's a crime, it's, a, it's a, a cop picture in a way. Right. But it's a great uh, buddy comedy. Right. In a sense. Charles Grodin Charles and Grodin. Robert De Niro, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think those kind will continue to, they continue to make them. I mean, Bad Boys is, is another version of it. Um, nice Guys was out like a year ago with uh, um, Russell uh, Crowe and um, Ryan Gosling. You know, they, it's, a, it's a good standard kind of, um, you know, the, the, the sort of family car, if you will, that keep making them, uh-huh. you know. And it's just who, who it's, it's interesting pairings, I think, is what you're looking for. You talk about comedy being dark, and it seems to me that that is more in fashion these days. When you mm-hmm. look at TV comedies, most of the shows that are considered comedies like Fleabag mm-hmm. and uh, Barry and some of these shows that are very well-respected and winning awards are not the comedies that you're used to where the goal was to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. I guess that's just kind of where we are as a society well, today. Well, I have a little bit of a theory about it, although it it's probably thin, but... I, I, you mentioned Fleabag, which I like very much, and and there's some other things I, I enjoyed um, for a while. I enjoyed the, the Judd, Judd Apatow's and, and um, series that he produced called Love, which was set in L.A. was on uh, Netflix. Um, Catastrophe is another one I I thought was pretty good, you mm-hmm. know, um, which is a romantic comedy and is very dark. And I think maybe what it is is our capacity for watching a human being destroy themselves or make choices that are so bad and so self-destructive is greater than it used to be. It's, it's a simple I would agree of, with you. It's a simple way of putting it. I watch Fleabag. I'm laughing. First of all, I think she's an amazing writer. And she can make a whole half hour about six people sitting around a dining room table with very interesting characters. And have you laughing to the point where, you know, at, at, and at the end she gets she gets punched out by her brother-in-law after she punches him out. And everyone's bleeding and that's the end of the show. And, and I have to believe that um, 20 or 30 years ago you would not want to watch a woman um, with a kind of self-destructive um, uh, vein that way. Um, go through these kind of escapades. And now it seems like we have a greater tolerance for it and 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 we'll laugh at the truth of it, but we're not um we're not turned off by 
that level of self-destructiveness. So that, we're more a callous a in a way sort or, of. or in a way more cruel? Well, I mean, I look at the office. More, more aware in a way as well. Okay. More, more willing to, to admit that um, people are flawed in a sense. Not, we, we're not necessarily, we don't necessarily need to land on the ideal. Okay. You know, or I the, look at the office yeah. and the conceit is that this is a documentary mm-hmm. they are making. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the humor comes from the characters finding themselves in humiliating situations Absolutely. that they know are being filmed and are being seen publicly. And so the humor comes from the fact that you are watching them humiliate themselves Mm -hmm. and it's funny but there's also kind of a lack of humanity a little bit to that don't you think i don't know if i would agree that way if you think about it the setting itself is not what you would ideally pitch from our Right. Time the, in the these are worker drones. This these is a are people who sucking yeah. environment. Right. It's which is a dead end environment. Right. Um, the only person you think has a chance of getting out of there is Jim, mm-hmm. because he seems to be. Well, Dwight is a psychopath, <laughs> <laughs> and the other people are sort of holding on. They need the jobs, but they're not right. happy. They're led by a self deluding. You know, not too particularly bright, well-meaning, but not what you'd call a great leader. Right. And and yet we're laughing because we identify, I think, with the tr- the feeling of being trapped, in a sense, in the place we work or the place we we live. Mm-hmm. I would I would going back to romantic comedy. You mentioned it before. I think the Jim and Pam romance is the best television romance since the mo- the one that feels the most real and even more real than Sam- since Sam and Diane. I-, I really always thought that was so real and so identifiable, you know, the way the way that romance starts, the way it goes. Um, and there's a bit more of More so sweet- than Rachel and Ross on Friends? More so for me, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Rachel, that was, believe me, I... I just identified with Ross because and then I just was watching that going, come on, buddy, you can do it. I mean, she was so incredibly sexy. Um, but this was this felt real. This felt like you lived in, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're both fans of the show. And, and uh, uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think you, The Office could have been, um, could have worked 25 years ago. You know, it just was it, it was right for the time. And and Greg Daniels did a, just a great job of kind of making taking the because we're not very good at with the exception of a couple of instances. We're not very good at adapting British shows to American no, television. No, you look at couple and yeah. and uh, you and he just did a great job of making it decidedly American. You know, um, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Dunder Mifflin, paper company, the attitudes, everything felt like very real and very, very funny. And I think that's why that show just will stay, will hold up for many, many 
years, if not forever. And by the way, going back to coupling, which is one of my <laughs> all-time Great favorite show. shows. The British The British version, version done by Stephen Moffat. Mm-hmm. And they tried a U.S. version. And the problem with the U.S. version was the network, was NBC. And NBC managed to take everything good about coupling and change it and make it glossy and pretty people and just completely miss the point. So there's a case where uh, a network came in and absolutely killed a show. Well, it, it, it was dead on arrival because it's a show about sex and unashamedly about sex and American television in those days, network television certainly, and probably still is, is very purient about sex. It's almost like you, you, we sort of like hold our hand up to our mouth and giggle about it as opposed to like dealing with it or talking about it because there's this sort of this strain of puritanism. I don't know, whatever. But well, that's, dead on that's arrival. network. And, dead on and I think it's one of the reasons why young people don't identify right. with network sitcoms exactly. because they look at that and they go, this is junior high. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it doesn't feel the least bit real. And um, certainly in the multicam sense, um, that, that, that just doesn't fly. Let's take a moment and talk about Friends because mm-hmm. that, I contend the three most popular sitcoms in history, when you look at syndication and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and, you know, longevity, mm-hmm. I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. M.A.S.H., and Friends. I, I wouldn't argue. I don't think there's anything else I would throw in there. Yeah. Why is Friends... I, I'm, I'm throwing you a softball here. Yeah. <laughs> Why is Friends so popular? Well, first of all, casting is... They hit it out of the park. Uh-huh. Um, I call it the most watchable show in the history of television. Um, the other thing is, it's a... In its youthfulness... It's perennially youthful because of the very nature of the subject matter. It's, it's a time we all, most of us, uh, would identify with in that time when we leave our homes or we leave college at least and we go out into the world and before we m- make our own family, we live in this kind of our 20s mostly. I'm saying this, I'm sort of overgeneralizing this, but... I think we all identify with that time of romance and first romances and real profound romances for the first time. And the the family that you form with your friends, um, it's, a, it's just a great, it's there for you. And you it know? was beautifully written. Be- it was, oh, well, it was well, really yeah, knock, funny. Knockout, always, always well written. There were always good three jokes. stories always that all dovetailed. Absolutely. And, yeah. But I think that's why every generation, I know my daughters are that age now, and they love that show. They've mm-hmm. loved it since their teens, but they really love it because I think they completely, it's idealized. It's like way, it's the way you see your life. And as I was saying before, it's what you identify with. You laugh at it because I have friends like that. Mm-hmm. I know those people. I, I, I have a friend like, like uh, Phoebe. You know, who's a bit addled and a bit off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it it just it just reflects back and forth and back and forth and 
uh, to infinity in terms of identifiability and, and irony. And it just it's just fueled with it's fueled uh, to last forever. And ironically, it is also a multi-camera show shot in front of a live studio audience. And so many people are saying, well, that's dead. That's all such a retro form. And yet, when you look at Friends, it is as retro as can possibly be. And there is another sitcom that my daughter and, and her husband watch all the time and tons of people watch and I know because I like hosted an evening about this show at USC a few years ago Golden Girls yes okay now here's a show you if you say okay now I want to attract the millennial audience so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a show about 50 year old and 60 year old women who live together in Miami and that's going to be the show that they watch. And yet they do. Why? Well, start again with you get four very funny ladies mm-hmm. or masters of, of stage comedy. Uh, all very distinct characters. And once again, it's about friendship. It's about the identity. I, I, yes, it, it, it's about specifically those the problems of of people in the AARP age range mm-hmm. but they're they still have the same sort of uh they they still come up with the same kinds of um romantic uh uh dilemmas their devotion to each other is is in the ideal they, they you you kind of still identify even and it's funny. It's just yeah, brilliantly it is, written. It's just loaded with jokes. Yeah, just lathered on with jokes. Yeah, and 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 uh, and you know you go there because you know you're going to laugh. I mean that that's a simple answer to the, to the question, but I think it always comes down to relatability. I mean we also also have if you're young you have parents you have grandparents. You know, you they live down in Florida. They, they they act in a in a way that these women uh, kind of act with, with each other, and and so you you just identify with that kind of um, uh, that kind of uh, in, that kind of uh, sense of family, sense of of uh, of of interaction. Okay, final question. Mm-hmm. You teach at USC. Yes. What are the types of comedies? You're not going to ask me what's happening with Felicity Huffman. <laughs> no, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask you about Laura Laughlin. Yeah. No. yeah. Uh, well, she made a big mistake. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask you what are the, the types of comedy that your students want to write today? Um, I would say that... On the high end, they want to write uh, things like Fleabag. The women certainly do. Mm-hmm. Um, they they want to write across a diverse uh, landscape. Atlanta is a very popular show for very good reasons. Okay, um, animation is 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 a form in itself. Uh, half hour. If 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 you want to say in a way that where's the sitcom goes, it's gone to animation. Um, 
shows like Rick and Morty, BoJack Horseman, mm-hmm. those are the shows they love. Those are the shows they want to write. So in a sense, live action is not their first choice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just right now, I would say on network, I don't think there's anything. I mean, um, they don't want to uh, write mom, do no, they? Uh, uh, no, no, that doesn't come up much. <laughs> I mean, and I like mom. I think it's a great show. Um, they don't want to write Carol's Second Chance no. or whatever the hell that show is. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Carol's, <laughs> they don't want to write Last Man Standing, think, do they? I don't they? think uh, Carol's got any chance. Uh-huh. Um, did and, they watch Will and Grace when Will and yeah, Grace came back? Yeah, yeah they, they did. They okay. Did. They are not Murphy Brown, but uh, but Will and Grace. Um, uh, you know, Modern Family, of course, was that, but it's kind of run its course. Um they're they're not as uh, they're 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 going to tend to want to write things that are a little darker, just in general, mm-hmm. um, blackish, uh, grownish, you know, those kind of shows, um, and uh, and that of course that that it plays along the lines of ethnicity and and diversity. Um, you're going to tend to want to write from your community and your your neighborhood in a sense. Um, so it's a more right away. It's a more diverse landscape. Um, there's just uh, there's nothing you can kind of put all into one basket. There, for them, um, Orange Is the New Black is is much comedy for them as as um, as uh, as mom is, <laughs> or you know, mm-hmm. um, or as as Fleabag is, I suppose. You right. Know? So it doesn't have to just be packaged into a half hour. Um, uh, th- those are, I, in general, those are the kind of things that pop up. Uh, there's, there's stuff that's out in the, what I would call out in the weeds. Um, there's a show on, um, uh, now that the Tina Fey shows have sort of phased out. I mean, um, The Good Place is another popular show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but out in the weeds, I would say the, by that, I mean, um, there's a show on Comedy Central called The Others, which is written by some writers from Saturday Night Live, which is about a young um, young uh, child star and his brother, and it centers on his brothers and sisters, his brother and sister who are kind of this uh, ne'er do well, um, jealous couple. Who, good idea, actually. Yeah, it's a who, really good idea, and, uh, and it's and it's in the vein of um, Kimmy Schmidt, or or it's it, what I call the theater of absurdity, more mm-hmm. than what I would call sitcom. I mean, those are live cartoons, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's absurd. It's, it's, yeah. I'd call it absurdity, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is what I called uh, what I would call the Tina Fey shows, which are which I love. I love Thirty Rock, and I and and not as much Kimmy Schmidt, but still very funny. And they're 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 they tend to be more absurd than they are right. sitcoms. But mm-hmm. but you know nobody can write like her. So um, uh, those are, those are the ones right now. Okay, David, thank you very much. My this pleasure. This has been fun. It's been great. I've, 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 I've only been away from class about three days, and I'm, I missed it oh so much. <laughs> <laughs> David Isaacs, ladies and Thank gentlemen. Thank you, Kenny. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no parting gifts. <laughs> 
And that will do it for this week of Hollywood and Levine. Again, my thanks to my writing partner, David Isaacs. Also, thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, John Wolfert, Howard Hoffman, Bruce and Jason Miller. And if you want to get in touch with me, I do write you back. Uh, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm on Twitter at Ken Levine, should you wish to follow me. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. I would always love a five-star review and maybe a review in iTunes. Anyway, got more good stuff next week. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you then. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine.